Well, this afternoon, we're going to be continuing our walk through the book of Hebrews. Uh, in our next part, we'll be looking specifically focusing upon verses 17 uh, through 22. Let's hear from Hebrews 11 once again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he commended the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was not past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, that they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth of the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, in mocking, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let us pray. Father, as we have sung, we pray as we approach your word today, that you would speak to us from your word, that you would take your word and plant it deep within us, that you would mold us and fashion us in the likeness of Christ Jesus, that you would draw us to him, to rest in him and to receive from him. We pray these things, our Father, through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. As we've been looking at the book of Hebrews in this section, we have been seeing the uh, need of faith and how faith in Christ Jesus is the fundamental posture of the Christian. That that is the basic struggle of Christianity is looking to and resting in Christ, remembering his promises. For it is from that that there is endurance. It is from that that there is growth in the likeness of Christ. It is from that that there is the sanctifying work of faith. Remembering that by faith we are accepted before God and we are commended before God just as just as Abel's sacrifice was accepted because Abel was accepted by faith last time we looked at the fact that those who we've been talking about in this hall of faith they all died in faith in a state of believing they all continued believing even in their unsteady unwavering faith uh, their unsteady wavering faith just like we have unsteady faith We frequently will struggle and have doubts and everything like that, just as Abraham did, just as Isaac did. But yet they still looked to and trusted in and rested in God's promises. But they all lived in faith, not having received the things promised. That is, in this age, in this life, they did not see the things promised. But did not Abraham make it to the land? Was not Isaac born in the land? Was not Isaac born? Well, the assertion here is that those are testimonies of the things promised. Those are shadows of the things promised. But the real thing is what comes in Christ Jesus. 
Christ Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God, as we've been seeing in the book of Hebrews. He is the final word from God. He is the fulfillment of what he has been saying. And they all died in faith, even though they did not receive what had been promised. Yet they endured because they regarded him as faithful, who made the promise, thus resting, rested in that promise giver. And by faith saw that which was to come, even if veiled and shadowy. After all, it says they were not, while they were strangers and sojourners in the land, it was not an earthly homeland they were after, but a heavenly city. Now we move to this section and we look at Abraham and we see also Isaac and we see Jacob and we see Joseph and by faith. We've already spoken of Abraham, but now he's dealing with one of the most monumental events of Abraham's life. He'd received Isaac. Isaac had been born. This is the one through whom the seed would come. God had affirmed that it is not through Hagar's offspring or any other offspring, but through Isaac that the seed would come. Of course, remember that seed. We look at Galatians 3. That seed is Christ. But it is through Isaac that that seed would come. Genesis chapter 22, though, we then see what all appears to have what appears to have everything turned on its head. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 18, we have the accounting of this testing which Abraham experienced that is spoken of here in our passage. After all, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, tested, offered up Isaac. In Genesis 22, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkeys and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they both went, went both of them together. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac and his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took this knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I, now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me and abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son so abraham called the name of that place the lord will provide 
as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then God reaffirms the covenant, the promise that he made. And he said, because you have not, uh, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham, and then we see that he returned and went back. <clears throat> so when he was tested, the test was this. Here is this child that I have been promising through whom your seed would come through whom the promise which you have been waiting for will come. And this is what I wish for you to do. I want you to take him up to the mountain, lay him on, <clears throat> lay him on the altar, kill him and offer him up as a burnt offering. Imagine hearing that. Imagine being in Abraham's shoes. What would go through your head? But yet it says in the text here, how is it that Abraham did that? It says because it was by faith. Again, what is it that is faith? Is that he believed the promise of God. Was not Isaac the son of promise? Would, would the promise now be null and void if Isaac were to be sacrificed? You see, Abraham was hearing the opposite of what was promised. And through Isaac, that promise would come to fruition. One church father said, Abraham therefore hoped for the resurrection of Isaac and believed in a future that had not yet happened. How then are they the sons of Abraham who do not believe what has happened in Christ, which Abraham believed was to be in Isaac? He, then he goes on to say that those who do not believe that are not sons of Abraham. You see, it says that he, was expect, he still believed the promise of God. The reason what his faith was expressed in the, in the language that is spoken of here, in that he considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. That offering him, he would say, perhaps God will rise him from the dead. But he trusted that God had made a promise and he would keep his promise. So he trusted God. He took God at his word and believed him faithful. And by faith, he saw the reality of what was being promised. By faith, he beheld, as we've seen, he saw, he had the certainty of things promised and things not seen. Notice when it says that he <clears throat> offered up Isaac, it says he was in the act, act of offering up not just his son, but his only son, his only begotten son. It's the same word, actually, that is used with regards to Jesus in the Gospel of John, the monogenes, the only begotten. So just as Abraham offered his only begotten son, so the father offered his only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the, we wonder why Abraham did this because he believed God's promise that there would be possibly resurrection. 
You must remember that there is only one infallible interpreter of Scripture. And that's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks here in his word. And Hebrews 11 tells us what's going on behind the scene. Is that by faith he believed God to be faithful to promise. Even if it meant him killing Isaac and then then Isaac rising from the dead. So he brought his only begotten son to the altar. When you read the passage there in Genesis 22, very interesting. The first part of it is kind of slow and developing. But then when you get to going up to the mountain, it begins moving very quickly. Staccato. It's liter- in the terms of the literature, it's building up uh, tension. It's building up to a climax. And then all of a sudden God says, nope, stop. Don't kill him. And while Abraham offered his only begotten son, just as the father, uh, the God the Father offered his only begotten son, Isaac was not worthy of being that sacrifice for the sins of man, nor was Abraham qualified to offer such a sacrifice. Athanasius, he said the death of Isaac would not buy freedom for the world. No, that could be accomplished only by the death of our Savior, by whose stripes we are healed. So God, what did he do? He brought a substitute. He brought a substitute. Instead of Isaac dying, the ram came. So Abraham, one commentator says, saw the Messiah in the ram that was ultimately offered as a sacrifice to God. So what is it that Abraham saw, as we've said? We saw, it says that he believed that God could raise the dead. And think of it this way. And the text says, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. That he said God can raise him from the dead. And so figuratively speaking, Isaac did rise from the dead. To quote uh, someone from um, a beloved uh, film franchise, from a certain point of view, he did rise from the dead. Because look at it this way. Abraham was going through with the act. Abraham brought Isaac up. And from Abraham's perspective, Isaac was as good as sacrificed. Isaac was as good as dead. So the act had not carried out. Abraham had reconciled to this. Isaac's going to die. Isaac is going to die. Even though the act had not been carried out, Isaac, as far as Abraham was concerned, was dead. But in sparing Isaac, even though he did not die, from the standpoint of Abraham, God did raise Isaac from the dead. Let's think of this. He's reconciled in his mind. Isaac's going to die. I can imagine as Isaac is looking at everything, Abraham, it doesn't say Abraham said a whole lot other than God will provide a sacrifice. And in his mind, most likely going, and that's you. That's you. So from Abraham's standpoint, he was dead. But also from Abraham's standpoint, because the act did not have to be carried out, now his son, who in his mind was dead, 
is now here alive, not having to be killed. So he experienced, figuratively speaking, a resurrection. And Abraham, the father of Isaac, received back his son. Maybe you're seeing some of the parallels that are there. Some of the testimonies that are happening there. Types. Illustrations. Also remember what we have learned. It was impossible, according to ordinary natural things, for Abraham and Sarah to have conceived Isaac. As we learned earlier that Sarah was beyond the age of being able to bear children, to conceive a child. Medically speaking, ordinarily speaking, it wasn't going to happen. As a matter of fact, so much so that when uh, God made that promise, Sarah laughed. Uh, Sarah laughed when God made that promise. So the Savior, and so, and God had overcome that obstacle and brought Isaac. And so no doubt Abraham could be saying, well, he did that, so he's going to do something here. And he did do something. He provided a substitute. And what was it rooted in, as we've said, because they counted him faithful who had made a promise. God made a promise, and they said God is faithful. That, my brothers and sisters, is the root of Faith is recognizing that God is faithful to promised. So by faith, Abraham beheld what was bound up in the promises made to him. The Savior of God's people in Christ Jesus. So he obeyed. He didn't know all the details as we see in First Peter that they were shadowy, but they knew that there was something that was being promised. And that is the great struggle of the Christian life, recognizing the promises that are bound up in what God has said and believing, those, and believing the God who promised. And it is when we stop believing that God promised or that we doubt God's promise that we end up going off course or that we end up grasping at things that we have no business grasping onto, even good things, but grasping onto them with iron fists. And so, how is it that Abraham obeyed? What was the foundation of his obedience to God, what God's command? It is the fact that he believed God. That is the foundation of all obedience, believing God. It is by faith that we rest upon him and receive, receive from him. By faith, we see what, we, we see what God promised And Abraham saw what God promised, so we can and do and must obey. It is built on the promises of God in Christ Jesus. And throughout the Old Testament narrative, just as with us, remembering and believing the God who promises and and believing the promises of the one who is faithful, believing that he keeps those promises. We look at the Exodus narrative. Immediately afterwards, Moses is up in the mountain. They're getting impatient. God had made a promise. I'm going to deliver you. 
But what do they do? They gather all the gold they can find. They throw it into the fire. They melt it down and they create a calf. And they begin worshiping and saying, this is the God who delivered us out of, Is- out of Egypt. Most likely thinking Yahweh, but said so we're going to make an image of Yahweh and worship him. Thus violating the second commandment that God was having Moses put in writing while he was up there. Of course, we see the comical result of that. Moses comes down to Aaron and says, what is this you have done? Well, see, all the people brought me this gold and I put it in there and a calf came out. But that was rooted in not remembering the promise of God and not believing his promise. And so it is with us. We must believe and remember God's promise. We must remember that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. And as we've learned, to seek him is to wait on him, to trust him. And so by faith, as we've seen at the beginning of Hebrews 11, we behold the reality, we behold the assurance, we behold the substance, we behold the certainty of what God has laid out for us. And so you and I, each of us, we have every reason, as Philippians 2.13 says, 2.12 and 13, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. That is a miss, oftentimes a misquoted verse of Scripture. I was having a discussion with someone and about whether or not um, someone could possibly lose their salvation. Of course, I was arguing that one could not. And they brought to me, this is, doesn't say, work out your salvation with trembling and fear. And so you have, to, you have to complete something. And I said, yes, it does say we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I said, keep reading. For it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work, according to his good pleasure. And we do that because of what came before there in Philippians 2, which is the magnificent work of Jesus Christ in humbling himself, even to the point of death. Also, what do we see displayed in this event in Abraham's life? Is it primarily the faith of Abraham? No, it's not. It's actually not the faith of Abraham that is on display. Did God test Abraham so that he, I mean God, could learn something that he did not already know? No. No, it was for our sake, for the sake of all who followed. It shows this, that God keeps his promise and is trustworthy. Thus, it is for us to trust and rest in him. John Chrysostom, you might tell I spent a lot of time in really ancient authors for this sermon. He's from the 300s. He says, not that God might learn, but that God might show to others and make his fortitude manifest to all. It shows who God is, thus that we might continue to believe him and not turn to other things, which, as we've learned, are not other things. They're nothing. For these Jewish believers to turn back to the Mosaic Covenant, which was no longer in force and never will be in force again because it has served its purpose, is to, was, would be to turn to nothing. Nothing. 
to turn to something that cannot do anything because it was never designed to do what Christ did. And so, there is Christ, the final and complete Word of God, the full revelation of God. And then we also saw in Genesis 22, verses 15 through 19, the reaffirmation of the promise in Genesis 22. It showed God's promise and his faithfulness to his promise. In that he said, you will be a ble- you, your offspring shall be a blessing to all the nations. And again, it's not speaking of Isaac. Nor is it even speaking of the nation of Israel. It is speaking of the one who would come from the loins of Abraham, through whom, uh, who was birthed through the line of David in the nation of Israel, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, who is the seed of, of Eve, who would crush the serpent's head, who redeemed us, not by means of a lion's roar, but by means of, a, of, the, of the bleeding of a lamb upon the cross. And by that, he became a blessing to all the nations, all the ethne, all the different peoples of the earth. You see, it was not ever about a piece of soil for the purpose of, the, of a bloodline, but it was for the purpose of a heavenly city that would be populated by people from bloodlines from many different peoples populated by every different tongue, tribe, nation, and people. So through the seed of Abraham, all the nations were blessed as Abraham believed God's promise. And so those who, like Abraham, believe God by faith are children, descendants of Abraham, Genesis 3. So we have Abraham. Remembering that through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And thus even offered Isaac, knowing that God, believing that God would do something so that the line would continue. Now we see the attention turned to Isaac. We know the, hopefully, know the story of Isaac. Isaac went and he found his wife Rachel and he gave, and uh, she had Esau and she had Jacob. And those two, uh, Esau, Esau was born first, Jacob was born second. And those two, very in the, in the womb itself, were warring with each other. And when Esau came out, it said that uh, J- Jacob's hand was holding on to the ankle, fighting. We also see the event where Jacob, uh, dece- uh, Jacob ultimately deceived Isaac and posed himself as Esau so he could receive the blessing of the firstborn. And we see, see, of course, Esau getting quite upset about that and having something passed on to him. In Genesis 27, uh, we see the recounting of, es- of, that, of what it's speaking of here. As it says, by faith, Esau invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. That is, he blessed them with great expectations of the promise being fulfilled. 
but were they not aliens and sojourners in the land? I mean, Isaac had absolutely nothing in the land other than his small little bit and the right of burial. So what was it that he bestowed? That's right, the, pro- for the promise, for by faith Isaac beheld the promise laid out before him, which was he passed on the blessing that through his lineage would come this deliverer, would come this Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who would secure the heavenly land, the heavenly city for people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. And that was bestowed upon Jacob, even though it was done through devious means. It was bestowed, I should say, in spite of being done through devious means on the part of Jacob. But it was by faith that Isaac said, there will be this great thing. When we read Genesis 27, we can see the ways we can uh, see the, uh, what he pronounced upon uh, Jacob. Starting in verse 27, So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And again, that through Jacob, through a seed that was promised All the nations would serve. And indeed, all the nations do serve Christ Jesus. For in every tongue, tribe, nation, and people shall be those who serve him. And indeed, every every, every, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And by faith, he, he he gave that, knowing that even though he could not see everything that was promised, even though it was not present before him, he said, this shall be. And why? Because he believed the God of promise. Because he says God is faithful to keep his word. It says he also blessed Esau. Was not Esau the one who was rejected? He did pass a blessing on to him. It is by faith that Jacob was given the promise And remember, without Jacob, there is no Israel. Without Israel, there is no Messiah. Without Messiah, the promise is null and void. Jacob received the blessing which was due Esau, and that was by faith. Esau also received a blessing. A blessing that was, in in genre of literature, you have uh, have a, a character who does good things and noble things, but does so in devious ways. It's called an anti-hero. You might say that the blessing that he gave was an anti-blessing. It says, Behold, <clears throat> verse 39 of, Exit of Genesis 27, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. So that doesn't sound like much of a blessing, does it? And he says, By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. 
And there's the anti-blessing in there. Even though all this happened, you shall not have to be under him all the time. So even by faith, he saw that. Esau received that blessing which had elements of difficulty and violence and clashing with his brother. But yet, even though what Isaac had was just a paltry little bit there in that land, he still said, this shall be all nations shall serve you. Because as God promised that through, through Abraham, through his seed, shall be a great nation. That shall be blessed, that shall bless all nations. A, nations, a nation whose, as was mentioned earlier in, in uh, chapter 11 here, a nation as numerable as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. A people for his own possession. Now he spoke of Isaac. Now he turns to Jacob. Jacob has a very interesting story. Jacob, the one who took his, took his brother's birthright, then ventured out. And you might sometimes when you read a story, and I, if, I, if I, the first time I really read that story, I was like, Jacob should get some comeuppance here. And Jacob did get comeuppance. The deceiver was deceived by Laban. The one who had deceived his dad was deceived by Laban. Remember the story. He wanted, um, there was Rachel and Leah and he wanted Rachel. And so he agreed to work for seven years to get Rachel and Laban then after seven years said, here's your wife and took off the, took off the veil. It turns out it's Leah. And he said, well, she's the older one. She has to go first. You work for me for another seven years. You can have Rachel. So he did so and got Rachel. And then of course, um, Jacob did a little bit of his stuff with uh, taking, offered to take the sheep that are, um, that are spotted and imperfect. And he arranged things such that most of the sheep would end up imperfect. And he ended up having to leave. And Jacob had a very, actually quite a difficult existence. He lost, his, he lost his beloved son Joseph. He thought he was dead. Because his other sons were jealous. And his other sons had some deviousness as well. Things were not looking good in reality. In fact, Jacob and company were in the middle of a famine. But Jacob, and turns out there was great, uh, great plenty in Egypt because of the work of his son, Joseph, of, that God had used through ordinary means, actually, to um, store up grain and stuff for an upcoming famine. And so Jacob and family went to Egypt to go, well, the sons went, came back and brought Egypt once they learned things. And they saw that it was Joseph. It says Jacob, then at the end of his life, in his own weakness, in Genesis chapter 48, verse 16, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So we bless the grandsons of, of Joseph, Manasseh and, Eph, and Ephraim. We see that in Genesis chapter 48, verse 16. 
going back to verse 14. And Israel, that's Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head, head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who had been my shepherd all my long life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had uh, laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. He, he, shall, he, he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel pronounced blessings, saying, God make you as a frame and as Manasseh. So we see Jacob blessing the, the sons of Joseph, and he intentionally, although it appears that Joseph seeing Jacob in his old age, uh, maybe saying, I think you've, I don't think he could see it well, and cross it over, and Jacob said, oh no, I meant to do that. But he blessed them, and again he said, you will be great, and there shall be a continuation of this lineage. Again, how, why was that? It was by faith. Now, there's some who make much of him crossing his arms, this pointing to the cross. That's a little bit too much for me, even for me. So, um, but part of that blessing involves the promise which had yet come to fruition, and they were now in Egypt. They were in Egypt. They were no longer in Canaan land. They were in Egypt. And Canaan was devastated by a drought and famine. Would it be inhabitable even? Would they ever would it still be the land of milk and honey? But he included a statement to Joseph that we were to keep reading. God will take you back to the land, a land which is still not the home, as we read earlier, that prefigures the greater land, the greater possession, that God will take you back. He who had not yet received the blessing promised as it was ultimately meant to fulfill as, 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 as it pertains to what we can sense. He communicated that truth. How can we who are still awaiting the coming day then bless others? Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says, if only by faith can a dying Jacob bless his descendants, so only by faith can we bless the sons of men. Have faith in God and the instruction which you give shall really edify. The prayers you offer shall bring down showers of mercy and your endeavors for your sons and daughters shall be prospered. Notice also that he was worshiping the God of promise. What does that show? It shows that he believed God's promise. He was trusting the God who made a promise and regarding him as faithful to keep his word. So he worshiped him. So he bowed before him and worshiped God. And now we move, you see the progression, Isaac has, uh, Abraham has Isaac, then he talks about Isaac, Isaac uh, blesses, uh, Isaac blesses Jacob, he talks about Jacob, and then uh, Jacob blesses uh, uh, Joseph and his two, two children, now it moves on to Joseph, there's a progression here. 
But next to this chapter 50, verse 24, uh, we see that once again, <clears throat> here at the very end of Exodus, Joseph again, by faith, does something. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, we can see that fleshed out in the way it's spoken. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Part of that was bringing the bones back. And we see that in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. At the Exodus, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. There, 400 years later, that which he had said, I don't know about you, but something was promised 400 years ago, I might uh, might not uh, know that it happened. But here, he had faith. He believed that it would happen. He believed they would return. He not only believed himself, but led the rest also to the faith that having the exodus always in mind, for he would not have given directions about his burial. He led them in faith. Unless he had, and he was fully assured that they might look for a return to Canaan. So by faith, he saw a return because God promised something. God said, I will do this. So even though they were in Egypt, by faith, he said, you shall return. In fact, God even told Abraham that, for, that there is going to be a time where they are in Egypt and enslaved. So brothers and sisters, as we look at these uh, three characters. Oh, I skipped something. With regards to Joseph, God made a promise in that land. And again, they had no reason to expect to return to the land, but God did so and brought them to a land that would testify of a heavenly city. But in closing, brother, all of brothers and sisters, all of these things were possessed by faith, by faith in Christ Jesus, even though they had not seen Christ, they looked to Christ through the things that God had given them, through the testimonies and promises that God had given. And so it was all these by faith in God who promises. And so thus we must have confidence in the God who makes promises. We must, we must recognize first that God keeps his word. We must be convinced of that. That's why knowing who God is and learning about God is oh so important. And rehearsing and telling the story over and over again because God keeps his promise. And so we must have confidence in the God who makes promises. And that is because of his character. So we must have confidence in his character. And in so doing, we can rest secure in him, receiving from him what we need for life and for godliness.
And all this, my brothers and sisters, just as Abraham obeyed and did what God said, that terribly hard and difficult thing, did it by faith. By faith, we have the motivation for doing the things that he asks. It is by faith that we can do these. So brothers and sisters, Hebrews has been telling, the author of Hebrews has been telling us, believe God's promises. Do not turn to other promises. Do not turn to other gods. Do not turn back to that which came before and is no longer in force. Believe God. And so I tell us today, God has given his final word, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 and 3. So let us believe that promise. Let that be the one thing that we hold on to with an absolutely iron-fisted white-knuckle grip. Even all other things, even good things, can be let go. The one thing we can really hold on to is this, the God who makes promise revealed to us in Jesus Christ, His final word. Let us pray. Father, blessed be your name, you who keep promise, that even though we did not keep covenant with you, you kept covenant with us, and you kept your promise to us. Help us to believe that promise, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, like Joseph, like all those who've come before us. Help us to always return to that promise, even when we find ourselves struggling. So that by faith, we can walk in you. We pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.